Everybody, welcome back to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. This is session number 222. So here on the 22nd of March, 2022, we have session number 222. I know, unfortunately, I couldn't have timed it for February 22nd, uh, which would have been the ideal date, of course, for session 222. But there we are. Um, anyway, um, uh, we are back. So just a few quick announcements here uh, this uh, uh, this evening. <laughs> Jostnik wants us to do two slides today. You think? I don't know, man. I don't know. We'll see. Maybe, maybe we can do two uh, uh, slides today, but uh, I doubt 22 will work out, Chris. That probably won't happen. Um, just a few announcements coming up. First, we have our regional moots, of course, coming up this very week. We have our first spring moot. Tex moot is happening in Austin, Texas this coming Saturday, and then next Saturday, the 2nd of April, will be uh, uh, Sunshine Moot down in Orlando. So join me for uh, one of those two things. We've got a, a bunch of fun stuff going on. You can come in person if you're nearby, or you can uh, tune in digitally to either one of those. They'll be, there are going to be fully hybrid moot experiences uh, so that you can join us for either one. Another thing I wanted to mention is that this Friday on the auspicious date of March 25th, um, on Gondorian New Year, uh, there is uh, that's going to be the last day to submit proposals for Mythmoot this year. So, of course, our big Mythmoot conference, our big annual international conference, um, is which is in the last weekend of June, is going to be uh, that we're the where I said the proposals date is closing uh, this uh, this Friday. So, good, JJ, glad you got your proposal in. That is exciting. Very good. Um, so, yes, at the end of the day. On Friday the 25th is when, uh, is when that is going to be happening. And uh, I also wanted to draw your attention to, as we're getting closer towards the end of the month, our space program is uh, moving right along. We have uh, our biggest months ever coming up. Um, we already have more people registered for space modules in April than have ever registered in a month before. Uh, really exciting times here. Uh, these are the confirmed modules for April. We've got some awesome things. The Bridge to the Silmarillion, if you're one of those Lord of the Rings fans who's always had a hard time um, like enjoying the Silmarillion. And there's no shame in that. It can be really difficult to get into. Uh, the Bridge to the Silmarillion module is designed to help people uh, kind of make that uh, transition. Um, we have our, our History of Anime class. We have Old Norse. We're starting an Old Norse cohort for people who want to learn Old Norse, one of the dearest languages closest to Tolkien's heart. Um, we have our Conversational Spanish uh, module, Creative Writing, the History of Anime, um, so much stuff going on. Uh, Lewis's Ransom Cycle, we did uh, Out of the Silent Planet in uh, the Mythgard Academy last year. Um, that's looking at uh, all of Lewis's ram Ransom Cycle with Serena Higgins. Really fun stuff. So anyway, definitely want to, uh, you know, the time is running out for these. Uh, these start 
uh, the beginning of April, right? So there still is time to register uh, for those, but time is running out. And again, the way that you do this, it's really simple. Uh, first, you buy space tokens. Um, you can buy one uh, or up to six at a time. Um, you Those are good for any time, and you basically just kind of turn them in one token per module, per month-long module, uh, over, you know, the course of however long uh, you want to you want to do them. So anyway, um, uh, I also would like to just kind of point out in May the ones that we are proposing for May. Um, we've got a whole bunch of really fun modules coming up in May. Uh, we're starting a, uh, a series of modules if you've ever wanted to learn Klingon. So we've got a, a series of Klingon modules. Um, and another. this is another one of our new uh, modules. It's called Natural or Synthetic. It's a module on invented languages. Um, and in particular, it's designed to... If you've ever been, you know, whether you're a gamer or whether you're a writer or, um, you know, somebody who's writing a game or whatever... Um, Naming can be really hard, right? And uh, you know, often when you're when you're making up a language of your own, whether you're making up a full language or you want to make up place names and people names and stuff, and have it work and have it fit, that can be such a, a compelling part of a creative world or a really um, dissonant part of a creative world. One or the other. Well, how do you know how to put sound combinations together that are going to work and that are going to make sense and that are going to really fit organically? Um, so uh, uh, that's what that module is about. It's about uh, the way that uh, sound patterns work uh, in languages and how you can better shape um, invented languages or invented names of your own in order to make them fit or work. Really cool. So anyway, um, so lots of fun stuff happening. Um, you know, we've got we're starting a new cohort of Latin. We're starting a new uh, we're starting a cohort of beginning Greek um, for people who want to learn ancient Greek. Uh, Pity in the Lord of the Rings. That's going to be a fantastic module with Tom Hillman. Um, uh, really, really, obviously, really important theme. Uh, some great stuff going on there. So lots of awesome things happening uh, in space in May and in April. Uh, so just go to signumuniversity.org slash space and you can get involved uh, in, uh, uh, in our uh, really fun learning community. As I say, the space community has been really expanding over the last couple months. Uh, and that's been, that's just been exciting to see. Space is a fun opportunity. There are lots of places online where you can, you know, there are, there are lots of places online where you can learn stuff on your own asynchronously. You can go to YouTube and you can learn stuff, right? That's there's, there's, there's lots of places you can go to learn stuff. There are lots of places you can go to take courses of various kind, right? Paying usually quite a bit of money to take uh, a bunch of courses. Um, there are comparatively few places where you can go that are completely online and yet invested in the kind of uh, small group discussion classes, you know, fun, engaging um uh, small group discussion classes where in that kind of a supportive and encouraging environment, you can learn a lot of these things that, you know, you've always been curious about or always wanted to do new languages or uh, new literatures or, or whatever else it is that you want to do. Anime, we, we have a bunch of anime uh, uh, modules that we do. Um, so that's... Um, uh, that's what space is all about. Space is designed to be that spot which really fills a need, I think, for you know, a lot of people who have been taking it have been really expressing how grateful they've been uh, for that opportunity. So love sharing that with you guys. Uh, last thing just to mention briefly, tomorrow afternoon, Wednesday afternoon, uh, what, what day will that be? The 20. 
3rd, that's the date it will be tomorrow, uh, of March, um, is going to be our third episode of fourth episode of Other Minds and Hands. Um, our new, uh, my new broadcast about uh, adaptation, especially in Tolkien. We're going to have a new uh, special guest. Um, uh, the Clueless Fangirl from YouTube is going to be joining us to talk about Numenor, and we're going to be talking about uh, we're going to be talking about Numenor, what makes Numenor such an interesting and powerful story, and then we're going to be talking about some of the adaptation choices about Numenor, especially thinking about the timeline question um, in the uh, Amazon series to come. Um, so we're going to be talking about some of those things tomorrow, uh, and it's going to be uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. So I hope you can you can uh, join us there. But anyway, all right, let us move back forward into the text. So we were talking about Bill the Pony last time. Of course, everybody's favorite pony. Um, and um, I, 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 my subtitle for the, my title for this session was Waiting on the Doorstep uh, because, of course, that's what we find them doing. They're not waiting on the doorstep of a dragon's den. It's an odd thing that's happening here in this passage because um, they're waiting on the outside, on the doorstep, not to get in, but to leave, right? And this is one of those moments in the, in the story which um, can so easily pass by you when you're reading at, you know, anything like a normal speed, right? Their farewells had been said in the great hall by the fire, and they were only waiting now for Gandalf, who had not yet come out of the house. A gleam of firelight came from the open doors, and soft lights were glowing in many windows. Bilbo, huddled in a cloak, stood silent on the doorstep beside Frodo. Aragorn sat with his head bowed to his knees. Only Elrond knew fully what this hour meant to him. The others could only be seen as gray shapes in the darkness. Sam was standing by the pony, sucking his teeth, and staring moodily into the gloom where the river roared stonily below. His desire for adventure was at its lowest ebb. "'Bill, my lad,' he said, "'you oughtn't to have took up with us. "'You could have stayed here and at the best hay "'till the new grass comes.' "'Bill swished his tail and said nothing.'" Okay. Um, now, there are several ways. Um, there are several ways in which this is a sort of unusual passage, Right? Um, it is not only unusual in the sense that nothing happens. Okay, actually, that's not very unusual. There are many passages in the Lord of the Rings in which nothing happens. Um, but this is, a, this is a passage which is describing everybody gathered together doing nothing, right? Um, it is, Jackie, it is like staging, essentially, right? Um, it's, this is a transitional, you know, this whole section, right? Ever since, uh, uh, you know, the I Sit Beside the Fire and Think poem has been in this transitional moment when they are leaving but have not yet set off on the journey. Um, and it's dragged out quite a bit, right? Uh, and this passage seems to me that we had the, we got the descriptions and that didn't seem like it was dragging out. I mean, you know, okay, we're getting, we're getting descriptions of people, and that's rare enough, right? I mean, Tolkien almost never describes anybody, so what we got there was uh, interesting and noteworthy. Um, but here, this is, it's like action, 
action not happening, right? Bilbo huddled in a cloak, stood silent on the doorstep beside Frodo. That's describing what's happening in the midst of the in the midst of the the nothing happening, right? Um, the waiting, and I think this is you know Jack, as you said, this is um, this is this is staging. Um, there is a lot of tension, and Almaria, I would add, this is um, there's a lot of tension here. There's a lot of there's a lot of uncertainty. Right. Remember the description of the surroundings, of the atmosphere, right, of the gloom overhead and the remember the wind seething in the pines. Right. And all that stuff. Right. The, um, there was this this darkness and gloom closing in around them. Of course, it was sunset when that was like it was it was evening. Right. So it was getting dark. Um but it's it was not just that, right? There was there was sort of more than that. There was this kind of oppressiveness uh, around them. And now, look at the emphasis here. Their farewells had been said in the great hall by the fire. Now it's dark and cold, right? They're not by the fire anymore. But but notice what we get: a gleam of firelight came from the open doors, and soft lights were glowing in many windows. So they're outside in the gloom and the cold, but they're looking at, we, you know, we get a glimpse of the house, the last homely house, and it looks, still looks cheerful, right? The doors are open. The doors of the house are open, and the gleam of firelight is coming from them. The soft lights are glowing in the windows. There is still light and warmth in the last homely house, but it's behind them now, right? And there's Bilbo, who's not leaving, Right, Bilbo, who's staying, and Frodo, who's going, are both standing silently on the doorstep with Bilbo huddled in a cloak. Right, so this is this again. It's it's this transitional moment. They're neither they've neither gone nor are they still there. Right, they're outside the door, but you know Bilbo's come with him on the journey this far. Right, as far as the doorstep, um, and they're still standing together, but they're standing now outside. Um, and outside in the cold. Yeah, exactly, Jackie. That sense of being, of being backlit, I think is 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 important actually in this. Like this this image of the two of them. Notice how they're connected to the doorstep, right? They're standing on the doorstep, and the doors are open behind them, right? So there's there's the open doors of the last homely house with the gleam of firelight coming out, backlighting them. And there's Bilbo and Frodo in the doors, like in the doorway which is standing open, but they're on the doorstep. They're outside in the dark, but with the light from the house still shining around them. Um, yeah, it's a very liminal state, Hrothgar. Um, absolutely. Um, uh, yeah, Emily, that's interesting. Emily says, even though I know this is nighttime, I've never actually pictured it as dark. Emily, I think I missed, I think I read this book dozens of times without ever having the fact that they were leaving after dark register in my brain. I always pictured it as daylight. I mean, I got the description of the seething pines and the gloom and stuff like it. I always pictured it gray, um, you know, like gloomy and stuff, but I still always kind of pictured it daylight um, in my head. I didn't even real. I didn't even I didn't think about it consciously, right? It's only as we've been talking this through that I kind of realized, um, uh, yeah, I had always in my, in my in my mind's eye, I had always imagined this to be in uh, in daylight. 
um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, no, that was definitely not because of the movies, Jackie. That predated, that definitely predated the movies for me. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, we get that in the films. And of course, in the films, that's hardly surprising, right? I mean, like they, don't, they don't like to film things in the dark when they don't have to. If they don't absolutely, if there's not like a really, really strong reason for them to do that. Um, but of course, what you, um, it's actually a really interesting, though, it's really, uh, it's, it's a really interesting illustration, um, I think, Jackie, of sort of what is happening in an adaptation. Like if you think about what is it about the scene that they emphasize, right? That the adaptation, like the Peter Jackson films, what do they play on? What is the primary note of the setting out scene, right? And the primary note of the setting out scene is in the film is Frodo's discomfort, right? Frodo's supposed to be leading the party, which is silly. I always thought that was a little silly. Like, no one is like, yes, Frodo is the ring bearer and it's his quest. But the whole point was that he had guides, right? The whole idea that Frodo has to like pretend he knows the way to Mordor somehow, I always thought was a little strange, but exactly so Westcott that uh, his leaning on Gandalf and Gandalf kind of whispering to him, you know, is, is Mordor right or left, right? And, and Gandalf sort of whispering it to them. Um, uh, is uh, that's the, that's the, the emphasis in that scene darkness, gloom, you know, ominousness, that's not what they're focusing on, right? What they focus on is Frodo, this moment for Frodo. Um, This is the moment when Frodo is setting forth and he is in a sense the leader, but he is uncertain and he doesn't know, um, you know, he's not confident and is relying on Gandalf. Like that's the, you know, it's, I'm not saying it's a bad scene. It works and it does some really interesting work within the context of that adaptation. But that's what they focus on, right? That's kind of the story of that scene in the films. Here, um, uh, uh, here we get, um, well, it's very different, right? The darkness and gloom is, I think, the dominant theme. We got the business with the horn blowing, right? Um, but... Um, uh, but we don't. We've once we've once again come back. It's like this scene and the the seething pines paragraph, with all the gloom and darkness closing in around them, um, seem to me like a, sort of a, the kind of frame for this whole transitional, this whole liminal space thing. Um, but um, uh, anyway. Then notice what we get at the end of the paragraph. Aragorn sat with his head bowed to his knees. Only Elrond knew fully what this hour meant to him. How is he sitting? Are we actually... Is he... Is he sitting? Like on a... On a bench? Or on the steps? He can't be like all the way. Yeah, exactly. He can't be all the way fetal position to juice, man. That's what I'm. That's what I'm trying to figure out, right? His head bowed to his knees. 
I mean, is he doubled over like in the in the crash position in an airplane? Is that what we have? Um, you imagine him picture sitting like Ellen Death Note, uh, Drow Snake. Probably not. Probably not. Nobody sits like that. Um, uh, <laughs> my son's been showing me Death Note, so I get that reference. Um, his knees pulled up to his chest makes a good deal more sense. Um, yeah, if he were sitting on the ground with his knees drawn up and his arms around them cradling his head, Chris, that sounds... Yeah. You see the reason why I'm asking this, though? I'm trying to picture... In giving us this detail, and again, this is unusual. We don't normally get this kind of thing about people in Tolkien. Um, Tolkien does not give us much in the way of stage directions. Some authors do that a lot, right? Some authors are always telling us what gesture characters are making with their hands and what clothes they're wearing and and, and all these other things. Um, uh Tolkien does not do that much at all. Um, so here that we're that we have Aragorn's that we have Aragorn's posture described in this kind of detail is sufficiently unusual to take a second because he's told us this for a reason. He doesn't just do this, right? He's told us this for a reason. Why? What is he telling us about Aragorn? He goes on to add some commentary to it. Only Elrond knew fully what this hour meant to him. So he is, what, borne down by the weight of this moment, thinking about the weight of this moment? Um, and exactly how we know that his head is bowed to his knees, but of course, that could be done in several ways, and it it matters, doesn't it? I mean, if he's sitting with his thighs parallel to the ground, right? In order to have his head bowed down to his knees, we have to imagine him all the way forward, right? All the way forward with his head on his knees, um, again, like the airplane crash position. Um, and that's a very different posture from sitting on the ground with your knees drawn up and your head resting on them, or even with your forehead against your knees in that kind of a situation. Um, right? I mean, that strikes me as, as really a very different thing. Um, yeah, Ray, I, I agree. It does sound like Aragorn is taking the proverbial deep breath uh, here before undertaking the greatest quest of his life. This is... This is, this is the turning point of Aragorn's career. He's had a long career already, right? Um, you think of the things, well, think ahead to the things we shall later discover that Aragorn has done, right? How about that sentence? Um, but, um, uh, but he's, he's, yeah. Uh, several of you are referring to Arwen. 
Um, on the one hand, I do think Arwen is involved in this hour. Um, yes. Um, the only Elrond knew because others know what this hour means to him in as much as the kingship is concerned, right? His sort of royal destiny or whatever. Um, but yeah, I'm resistant to the idea that he's just sad about leaving Arwen because, as Tarloniel says, that's been the norm, you know, ever since he's known her, right? I mean, the times that he's spent with her, the number, the times he's seen her, that's always been the exception. Um, and now maybe he's gone through this every time, uh, but I don't know. Um, uh, oh, that's interesting. Okay, so I like that. Uh, C. Schwab just provided a picture of a guy who is sitting... How did you find that? That's really good. Anyway, okay. So he's... Um, it's a guy who's sitting on a bench with his thighs parallel to the ground, but his feet are spread out and his elbows are on his knees and his head is hanging down to his hands, which are near the level of his knees. But his head is bowed way forward. So he's not... His back is not all the way down. His back is arched down. It's more of a hanging his head... Like that, in that case, he's hanging his head. And that's the, Corey, that's exactly why I'm so interested in this, right? Is he hanging his head? Is that what's happening here? Is this a moment of like meditation or prayer for Aragorn? Or is there, is there some sense in which in this moment, is he going through like temptation of some kind? Like, is he, is there a chance Aragorn is going to be over, overborn, overwhelmed? by this moment in some way. Um, you know, I, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Um, yeah. Um, I'm not sure he's hanging his head. It's the head hanging part of that that I have the hardest time with. Um, I don't think he's depressed here. I think that he is... Here's, here's one of the reasons I don't think that. I think that we have seen a moment that anticipates this earlier on. And the moment that I'm thinking about... Um, the moment that I'm thinking about is when he is on Weathertop. Um, when he is on Weathertop and he's remembering Elendil. Remember, remember, that, remember that moment when he's like, uh, you know, this is the place where Elendil stood to await the coming of Gilgalad, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, he was conscious of the fact that he was walking in the footsteps of Alendo. Right? Not just like he's always done as the heir of Alendo, and he's known he's the heir of Alendo for decades now. Right? Um, not just in that sense, but 
the time of the crisis, like the War of the Last Alliance, the parallel to the War of the Last Alliance is coming. I, am, I need to play the part of Elendil in the War of the Last Alliance. He knows this. He signs up for this explicitly at the Council, right? He's prepared for that. That's, he knows the, that that's the direction that he's, that he's heading in, right? And remember, he had um, connected... Um, he had connected the idea of the reforging of the sword with the finding of the ring. So again, he knows it's coming. Um, uh, yeah, good. Uh, JJ's quoting the passage where um, the hobbits are discovering that Strider, of course, is learned in old lore, and Mary asks him who is Gilgalad, but it's before he says any. You know, before you know, it's when Sam says his poetic answer. But Strider did not answer and seemed to be lost in thought, right? Yeah, that's the moment. That's the moment. Um, and um, it's pretty heavy. But on the other hand, I don't get the impression that he's sad about it. That he's sad or, or depressed. Like, I don't think there's that kind of a... He... It's a big deal. He knows it's a big deal. Um, there are things to be concerned about. There's a lot of weight on him. And we will see Aragorn under stress. Aragorn is going to be under significant stress at the end of the Fellowship of the Ring and the beginning of the Two Towers. I think that's Aragorn's lowest point, honestly. Um, Parthgalen and the death of Boromir... Um, will put Aragorn the closest he's ever going to get to losing it. Um, uh, but I don't think he's depressed now. I don't think the prospect of following in Elendil's footstep depresses him or saddens him. I think he's he's ready for sacrifice if, um, if that's needed. I don't think he's... I certainly don't get a Peter Jackson-esque, like... This role is too big for me. I've turned from, I'm, you know, <laughs> contemplating whether or not to turn from that path uh, or something like that. Um, uh, I don't see that either. Um, yeah. Maybe it works. Maybe it works. Okay, so Matt has posted a picture of. Aragorn in the film sitting... What is that? Helm's Deep? Is that where he's sitting? There? But anyway, he's sitting on, on steps. And so he's sitting on a step, so his feet are lower than his butt, but not very much. So his knees stick up quite a bit. Um, his head isn't bowed to them, but if he were to bow to his, his head to his knees there, he wouldn't have to bow all the way forward like he would if he were sitting on a bench that way. Um, yeah. Okay, that is Helm's Deep. Yeah, okay. Okay. Um, yeah, I agree that he's taking a deep breath. That is probably that is probably true. Um and I agree, Wobe, it is an emotional step. Um, it's one thing to plan. It's one thing to be aware of it. It's one thing to be even 
think that you're ready to go and to, but um, actually to take the first step. I mean, it's real. This has to be a, an incredibly surreal moment for Aragorn, right? I mean, the fact that he's known this is coming doesn't make it less strange, right? Um, I mean, in every way. Not just the great roll of the dice as far as, you know, his relationship with Arwen is concerned, um, but generations and generations, you know, of his ancestors. Like, for this was, like, Velandil spared, right? Uh, you know, left behind in Rivendell. Uh, you know, for this was Arvedui, um you know, rescued uh, for this, what you know, like all these things, right? Um, I, you know, this is the entire history of the northern line of the Dunedain has culminated tonight, right? And this is the time when it when it moves forward, um, and uh, yeah, JJ, I agree. There's the, it's 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 an interesting thing um, between the um, on the one hand this is a familiar thing like I, we were talking about already how he's um, um, he's been away from Arwen lots of times like he's left Arwen behind lots of times right um, uh, one place and another he's been parted from Arwen many many times but there's a difference between this time leaving Rivendell, which he's left Rivendell probably by night, probably many times, right? Um, and yet, uh, you know, the day is here. You know, this is, it's like those times, but it's very different uh, from those times. Um, and yes, Ray, I, I don't want to underplay. I agree that the, um, I agree that the, Arwen angle is important, but I think I but I don't I agree with you in not wanting to lose sight of the fact that for his own personal, you know, and political destiny, this is a huge moment. This is the moment right here is the moment when he moves from being the heir of Elendil to Aragorn, the uncrowned king. Um, he and Boromir are setting out for Minas Tirith. It's 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 happening. It's happening. He is going to Minas Tirith with Boromir in order to reveal himself as the heir of Elendil. He's claimed it, right? He stated it. He was he had his coming out party there at the at the council, right? He was announced, attested by Elrond, who knew Velondil, right, <laughs> way back when. Um, so his pu the public declaration of his identity and his purpose has happened, the call, right, through the dream. The summons has been received and is being, you know, he is he is responding to that. He's he's you know being faithful in his response to that. Um, but um, yeah, yeah, um, it's uh, it's a big deal. <laughs> this is this is a, this is a very big. It is a solemn moment, Alyssa, as as Thorin would say. Yes. Um, by the way, notice how Tolkien is really good at 
saying less. And I think, by the way, this is a really great creative writing lesson. Not that I hold Tolkien up as necessarily a creative writing model that modern writers will want to emulate all the time because there are lots of things uh, that I would not suggest necessarily emulating about Tolkien as a creative writer. But one of the things that you can clearly see when you look at the history of The Hobbit and the uh, history of The Lord of the Rings, um, his tales grow in the telling, but they always get shorter when they're revised. Almost always. Um, he, His first drafts um, uh, yeah, exactly. JJ says, Tolkien, creative writing tip. Never finish anything. That's one of the ways in which I would not recommend him as a model. Um, but anyway, he, um, Tolkien always, almost always cuts down. Um, when you read the first draft of something, it, most of the time, it contains a lot more explanation, um, a lot more um, stuff. It's just spelled out. He spells everything out much more um, the first time through. And then as he revises, he trims it down and he cuts things out. Um, and this is why, by the way, it's, it's very difficult sometimes to know whether or not when he's removed something from an earlier draft, you know, it's no longer there in the final draft. Does that mean he took it out? Like, does that mean like he, he no longer means that thing, um, that he cut that concept or did he just cut the sentence that describes it? Right. Um, and uh, in any case, uh, this is um, this is a, a a classic example, right? Notice what he does not do in this passage, in this sentence. He doesn't tell us what this hour meant to Aragorn. He actually tells us nothing about what this hour meant to Aragorn. All he tells us is that only Elrond knew fully what this hour meant to him, whatever that was. Right, um, but he leaves us to imagine what this hour meant to him, um, and there are so many different ways to think about that. Right, think about his family and his family traditions, and the burden that's falling on his shoulders here. The excitement, the day has come. Right, um, uh, the day when his line, when the. Dunedain of the North come out of the shadows, right? When he puts off the rascally demeanor and uh, becomes king again, that's a that's a big deal, right? That's a big deal. Um, with Arwen, right? The reference to her father does suggest, right, um, uh, that uh, this is a big deal on that level as well. Right, that it is uh, uh, emotionally a big deal because now he has come to the final test, right? Where either, um, you know, their hope will be fulfilled or all hopes shall fail. Um, but um, yeah, I, I wonder if he's thinking about his mother. I too, Valori, wonder that. And by the way, that's one of my uh, one of my favorite added scenes. Uh, in the Peter Jackson film. Um, I love the Gilrein's uh, tombstone um, uh, uh, scene in the extended uh, film. Um, that was a really, that was a brilliant touch. Cause yeah, I, I wonder that too, if he's, if he's thinking about that. Um, and um, anyway, yeah, yeah. Now, Matt, I don't know how our narrator knows that only Elrond knows fully 
what this hour meant to him. Um, I don't know. Um, I think, I, yeah, I think, Drowsnake, I agree. I think that our narrator is venturing a guess here, right? I suspect that our narrator, whom I believe to be Frodo in this moment, I believe that the Frodo narrator is pointing vaguely at the Arwen situation, right? He is hinting ahead at what shall be later on. Um, and by the way, by invoking Elrond, notice what he also achieves indirectly. What does this hour mean to Elrond? This is a big deal. It's a huge deal to Elrond himself, right? I mean, yeah, there's a lot on Aragorn here as he's prepared to set out. What's Elrond thinking? Watching him set out, right? Um, yeah, yeah, I think that that's, um, you know, definitely another thing to think about exact extreme victory or ultimate loss, or both in Elrond's case, right? Um, absolute defeat or ultimate loss, of course, is Elrond's choice, right? Essentially. Um, yeah, yeah, it's I, I agreed, Silkowesk, it totally a lose-lose uh, for Elrond, um, which is a picture of the lose-lose for the elves as a whole. Goadriel is going to say a similar thing fairly soon, re relatively soon, um, that either Sauron's going to get the ring and they'll all be hosed, or the ring's going to be destroyed and then they'll be more gently hosed, right? I mean, like, that's, you know, there's no great win for Elrond nor for any of the elves, in, in a sense, here, Jack. I mean, they're committed, right? They're committed to the defeat of Sauron. Um, that'll be good. <laughs> that's, that's worth it. But it's going to come. It's going to. It's going to. It's, it's going to come as a at a cost. Um, anyway, um, this is um, exactly. Therefore, to Elrond, all chances of the War of the Ring would bring grief. That's exactly right, Jackie. That's exactly it. Um, so. And yes, that's also very true, um, Aranas, that we have to remember that, it, you know, Elrond is is as is Aragorn's foster father, right? I mean, he has known and loved Elrond his entire life. I mean, Elrond has taken him in and fostered him um, like his own son. Um, so losing Elrond is going to be a big deal uh, for him. And even Elrond's own, knowing that he his joy would be the instrument of uh, of Elrond's grief, right? I mean, man, it's a big deal, right? It's a big deal. Um, but uh, anyway, yeah. Um, and no, Elrond hasn't sent him to get a Silmaril, Chris. But there is a parallel, right? Um there is a parallel. Now, Elrond is well, well, well aware of the parallel, right? He's not pulled a thingle here. Um, and yet, he knows that... Uh, yeah, well, that's a... I think maybe a conversation for another time. But that's a really fun parallel. Um, the parallel between Thingol and the quest of the Silmaril and Elrond's father-in-law 
requirement to Aragorn. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> right, he's sending Frodo to get the Silmaril on Aragorn's behalf. Uh, something like that, right? Um, though again, there it's losing something, not gaining something. There are lots of uh, there are anti parallels as well as well as parallels. Again, Elrond is not unknowingly putting himself in the same position that Thingol did, right? Um, he avoids the mistake that Thingol brought destruction down upon himself particularly and his kingdom as a whole um, by bringing the curse home to himself right by uh, uh, by through his own choices um, Elrond isn't doing that um, and yet the consequences for him are pretty extreme um, for Dauntless is wondering if this is part of the reason why Elrond did not advise who should take up the quest well when we do think about the um, what, because he didn't want to be Thingol, right? He's not going to send anybody. Uh, he's not going to assign anyone, uh, dare anyone, you know, um, uh, put anybody in that kind of position. Yeah, yeah, in some ways. Um, certainly it is, I don't know if he's, he's doing that in order to distance himself from Thingol, but it certainly does emphasize the distance between um, what he did right the position he was again he's well aware of the precedent there uh, nobody knows better than Elrond uh, nobody's nobody living in Middle Earth knows better than Elrond the uh, the the extent to which um, the the parallels apply right remember Arwen's response when Aragorn says I thought you were Tenuviel right and she says yeah I get that a lot right um, the parallels not lost on her dad either um but um yeah ray i agree it does mean that uh the that uh the parallel to huan is build a pony <laughs> no the parallels don't go quite that far um uh no they don't um yeah anyway um okay um right um Anyway, we're glancing indirectly at what this hour meant to Elrond himself, right? But again, just notice how indirect it is. Only Elrond knew fully what this hour meant to him. We get a description of his posture and a statement that nobody except Elrond knows fully what this hour means to Aragorn, right? And then he just lets the reader imagine, project, right? What is Aragorn? going through. And even, as I said, even the description of his posture is a little bit ambivalent, right? Um, I kind of like that, uh, I kind of like the, I'm sitting, I'm not sitting on the ground, I'm sitting maybe on a step, and my knees, so my knees are higher, my my thighs are not quite per parallel to the ground, right? They're a little out of parallel. My knees are up, right? So that he can rest his head forward. Um, he's bowing his head in an attitude that is more like prayer or meditation than it is like despair or depression. Um, but, uh, yeah, 
Yeah, I agree. The answer is uh, um, the answer is all the above, Almerea. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, yes, and Chris, of course, you are right to remind us exactly how long Aragorn's shanks are, right? So that uh, um, his knees would be relatively high up towards his head, uh, unless the step was a very deep step indeed, right? So, yeah, now where's the sword? I, several people are worried about the sword. Um, I don't know, um, but I think you can sit on steps with a sword at your hip. Uh, usually you can you can get it out of the way. You can angle it up. I mean, you got to take care of that before you sit. You can just plop, right? You've got to you got to you got to organize yourself there before you sit down. But usually, usually that can happen. Um, yeah. So uh, we'll see. <laughs> we could do a Mythmoot reenactment. Varagorn sitting on the steps. Yeah. Maybe we maybe we should do maybe we should do a a thorough like. Um, you know, butt cheek reenactment, right? Let's do the Aragorn sitting and the Gandalf sitting on the window, and and uh, yeah, exactly, sitting in their various ways, right? Uh, <laughs> right, yes. Uh, uh, <laughs> the, the the Fellowship of the Ring, the 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 Fellowship of the Ring, uh, uh, you know, uh, buttocks compilation is uh, that's it. That's it. Uh, Frodo's cushions. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. We, we kind of got the, but we didn't get to the scattering of the cushions. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yep. Yep. Um, yep. I think it, um, <laughs> maybe that's what we should do. We'll see. Um, but, uh, okay, cool. All right. The second paragraph which is very short. One sentence. The others could be seen as gray shapes in the darkness. Why is this its own paragraph? I have to admit, it's been a while since I've studied The Lord of the Rings in print. That is, I normally read The Lord of the Rings in audio form. Um, I'd forgotten that doesn't sound like a different paragraph. If we could just go back a few sentences. Bilbo, huddled in a cloak, stood silent on the doorstep beside Frodo. Aragorn sat with his head bowed to his knees. Only Elrond knew fully what this hour meant to him. The others could be seen as gray shapes in the darkness. Sam was standing by the pony. That clearly sounds like a new paragraph, right? You can hear the new paragraph at Sam was standing by the pony, right? The others could be seen as gray shapes in the darkness does not sound like a new paragraph, right? Why do you think it is? Why do you think it is? We do get a tableau here. Um, and Trifle, I agree, it is really interesting that we get um, the narrative points out that we can't see folks and Gandalf isn't even here when we just got descriptions of all of them. Yeah, including Gandalf, right? Now, meanwhile, Gandalf's not even here. Now, it's conceivable, Trifle, that... Um, uh, it's conceivable that we... Um, right, where they said farewell in the Great Hall by the fire. But 
at this, so that almost works for me as a dodge for this. That like the descriptions came when everyone was standing around the fire, and we can see folks clearly indoors, and and, and before we go out into the gloom, and then they go out, go out into the gloom. But surely, surely, Boromir didn't sound his horn inside, right? Um, surely that didn't happen. Um, all right, hang on a second. I gotta check. I, I, I'm, I'm gonna look this up in my paper copy. Some people are saying it's not a separate paragraph in theirs. This, the paragraphing I have here is from the ebook version. But let's see. Where are we? Okay, I sit beside the fire and think. Bill, my lad. Okay. Okay. Yeah. This. It's. It's. It's not in this print edition either. Okay. Um. You think Gandalf and Elrond went back inside? Maybe, like we have bought. Maybe, um, right? I agree. Miraculous trash, like being like house get good house guest rule number one. You don't blow your horn inside, right? I mean, Boromir wouldn't do that. I, I absolutely refuse to believe that Boromir would blow his horn inside. Um, absolutely no way. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I'm not saying that wouldn't be funny, because I think it would be funny. Um, but yeah, okay. Interesting. Um, okay. Okay, so maybe it's not its own paragraph. But in any case, the others could be seen as gray shapes in the darkness. Who are the others? Everybody but Aragorn... Frodo, Bilbo, and <laughs> absent Gandalf, right? Um, what does it make you think of? Um, what does it make you think of? The others could only be seen as gray shapes in the darkness. We've gotten that before. I didn't, um, I didn't, I never made this connection until like literally just before I started class. I was looking at this, I was like, holy cow. Um, yeah, the ring wraiths. And not just the ring wraiths, but yeah, exactly, Drow Snake. Frodo, after he was stabbed, his friends looking as, looking like gray shapes. Gray shapes was exactly. I think that phrase was even used um, before he, um, yeah, before the ford, um, in those last days before the ford, when he was um, going deeper and deeper towards the other side. That was a bad sign when his friends could only be seen as gray shapes in the darkness before, right? And now. We get that again. There are only there's there's Frodo, and there's Bilbo standing with him, and there's Aragorn sitting nearby with his head bowed to his knees. And the others can only be seen as gray. Sh I, I added the word only there, right? The others could be seen as gray shapes in the darkness. That's the only thing we get of everybody else, right? There's this distance. The isolation. 
was one of the things that we saw the the distance between himself and the others remember um uh that sense of distance we get the distance when uh he cries out um on weathertop when he's wearing the ring right when sam reports to him after he awakes what happened what he saw right he only saw sam only saw some vague shadowy shapes right he didn't see much very clearly and then he heard frodo speak and it sounded like frodo was speaking from far away or from under the ground remember um when he was wearing while he was wearing the ring so when he was on the other side he was right there next to sam but there was this distance this remote this remoteness right this disconnection between him and his friends and that's been a theme hasn't it i mean when frodo is briefly submitting to the temptation of the ring in the house of tom bombadil what does he do he starts to leave when he is being sub- when he is being subjected to the temptation from the ring in the barrow he is tempted to leave right um okay maybe it's not that phrase um look up um uh jj look up again in the just the word gray maybe i'm sure you can find the sentence i know it's there i know i'm not crazy I know there was a uh, a reference to Frodo looking at only being able to see gray shapes. If it might not use that phrase, um, no, not at the Ford, JJ. Uh, not the shadowy forms waving flames. That's not the one I mean. I mean, um, it's before that, a little bit before that. Um, when he's riding and he's looking at his friends, a shadow came between him and his friends. Okay, that might be the one that I'm thinking of. Um, I'm sure there's a reference to grayness. I'm going totally crazy if there's not a reference to grayness. I feel like I remember that really clearly, but obviously not clearly enough to be able to quote it. Um, uh, Um... Okay, the word, right, the, during the day, things about him faded to shadows of ghostly gray. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of, JJ. He almost welcomed the coming of night, for then the world seemed less pale and empty. Okay, ghostly gray. Maybe that's the, maybe that's the, the reference that I was thinking of in particular. Um, the others could be seen as gray shapes in the darkness. Now, obviously... There's nothing that sketchy happening here, right? It's just dark. <laughs> you can't see them very clearly. Um, but but the sense of isolation, right? There's nobody else. There's Frodo. There's Bilbo standing with him. Um, and there's Aragorn sitting nearby with his head bowed to his knees. And the others are just gray shapes in the darkness, um yeah 
he felt the shadows coming between him and the faces of his friends. I think I'm combining those two in my head, but it's the same that same section. It's the both of those are descriptions of his experience of losing himself, right, in the Wraith world uh, through his wound. Um, so this does feel to me like a brief recollection of that, right? Um, that seems to me uh, that seems to me the place, like sort of the emotional place where Frodo is in this moment. That he feels alone, or almost alone, in a way which is reminding him of that time in those last days leading up to the to the ford um yeah no i'm pretty sure this is the, those passages are the ones i'm thinking of matt um and of course frodo is this is one of the things that frodo has been it's been an issue with frodo all along one way and another right Loneliness, I mean, being cut off from everybody. His first reaction when he found out about the ring um, was that he should leave everything behind, right? Um, even if it meant going off into exile, right? That he would end in exile. He would be separated from everything and everyone. And then, of course, we have his reluctance to take his friend's with him into danger, right? Leading up to the conspiracy and everything else, right? His his resistance against taking anybody along with him. And of course, that's going to be recapitulated again at Parth Gallen. Like, that's not over, right? Um, so on the one hand, you have in Frodo this impulse from the beginning that has said, don't imperil anybody else. Um, if you are taking this up, take it on yourself alone and try to preserve other people. Don't drag anybody else in this along with you. But at the same time, in parallel, there's been this really bad isolation that we've seen, right? The ring's attempt, it seems, to kind of cut him away from the herd, right? Separate yourself from your friends. Go off by yourself. Presumably, from the ring's perspective, where I can work on you in private, like I did that Smeagol chap. Um, and, um, uh, anyway, this, uh, and then of course we have the, the, the shadow that comes between him and his friends is the most dramatic example of that, right? He does cut himself away from the herd on Weathertop, right? Or the Dell under Weathertop, um, when he puts on the ring. Um, and, uh, then he is in trouble, right? And that ends up separating him, uh, from his... Uh, from his friends. Um, and yeah, like it almost convinced Frodo to do in Tom's Cabin, Bjarne's honor. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so this... And then, of course, in the council, we have Sam's concern, right? Sam's concern that Frodo was going to be sent alone. Surely you won't send him off alone, right, will you? Um, Sam's commitment has been... I mean, at the end of the day... Sam's number one job simply has been not to let Frodo be alone, right? Um, not to let him sacrifice himself in that way um, because he's going to need help. It's going to be wrong for Frodo to go off completely alone. Um, and we have Sam's repeated conviction of this, right? Um, 
his original charge from Gandalf after the infenestration, um, his reaffirmed commitment with the elves, right? And that he tells Frodo about the morning after the elves. Um, of course, you've got the conspiracy. And then, again, we'll see it at Parth Gallen. And, and then, of course, at the end of the Council of Elrond, uh, once again. And then we'll see it at Parth Gallen as well. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, anyway. So Frodo's isolation. Frodo being isolated. Uh, or cut off or separated is, I think, a, a pretty significant theme or, you know, sort of motif throughout the entire, uh, throughout the entire book. Um, and I think we see it again in this moment here. Um, is it a reflection of his fears, right? Nobody, um, um, from where he's standing, nobody's really with him, or rather there are only two who are with him. There's Bilbo, whom he's leaving behind, and there's Aragorn, who's wrapped up in his own concerns, right? Because um, this is a big moment. Frodo knows enough about what this hour means to Aragorn to know that this is a big deal, and to know that he doesn't know <laughs> fully what this hour means to him, right? Um, and... Uh, um, yeah, yeah. Um, and and there's Frodo, right? And the others can only be seen as gray shapes in the darkness. Um, I think we do perhaps get an insight into Frodo's mindset, Frodo's fears um, here, here before they, before they depart. Um, Yeah, Kurtzmas, um We'll see. Uh, is Frodo's departure at Parth Gallen right? That's an interesting question. We'll, uh, we'll have to talk about that uh, in a little while. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, we'll get there. We'll get there. Um... JJ, I agree. It is never right for Frodo to try to leave Sam behind. Um, that's one of the main reasons I, I think it's pretty clear Frodo's decision on Parth Gallen is wrong, at least partly wrong, right? Um, I, it's never okay to leave Sam behind. Um, and that was his intention, right? He chides Sam again uh, for not being left behind. Um, and it shows he, I, I don't, I do, I do not believe Frodo made the right decision at Barth Gowan. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, but we have a lot to talk about between now and then. Okay. Meanwhile, what's Sam up to? Standing by the pony, sucking his teeth. Do we have time to talk about tooth sucking? I'm not sure I properly picture this. What is he doing? 
how does one suck one's teeth in this way? I feel like this is an idiom I've never fully gotten. Um, <laughs> right. Yes, I do assume he's sucking his own teeth. Um, right. I mean, sometimes I've heard like the sound, like the like the tisk tisk sound being described as a tooth sucking sound. Is that what he's doing? Is he like? But he's just standing there sucking his teeth, staring moodily around. So that's it. Okay. So, why? Is he just like, like repeatedly? Is that what he's doing? Um, yeah, I don't, uh, the longer the more annoyed version. I, I get, there's only so annoyed I can do that sound. I don't, maybe I just don't do it right. You can draw the sound out speculatively? Really? Maybe I need to put this on my life goal list. You can draw tooth sucking, speculative, drawn out tooth sucking. Clearly I need a reenactment of this. I need, I need, I need some, I need some, uh, some, some instruction on how to do this. Because I don't really know how to do that. Uh, hmm. Yeah, I've always been puzzled by that. I've always understood the tooth sucking as the tisk tisk, right? I've, I've always gotten that. But, um, but yeah, I don't, I don't, okay. Contemplatively, it would seem to f match with staring moodily into the gloom. Um, by the way, I, um, <laughs> I can't, um, I think of the, uh, uh, the old English mode, uh, with moody, um, uh, I don't think it's what it means <laughs> here. I don't think um, uh, he's not in like an overmod uh, situation uh, there. But anyway, he's staring moodily into the gloom um, where the river roared stonily below. His desire for adventure was at its lowest ebb. The use of the title metaphor, um, Lowest Ebb, in describing his desire for adventure when combined with the river roaring stonily um, is really interesting, right? I mean, we get those two things kind of combining together. We get Sam's, um, the gloom around him and the stony, the, the, the roaring stonily um, is uh, um, external atmospheric cues which are echoing Sam's internal moodiness, it would seem, and the low ebb 
of his desire for adventure. By the way, yes, yeah, stonily, I've only ever heard stonily um, used as an adverb in one other place that I can think of. And that is um, uh, in the 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 uh, one of Tolkien's poems um, in the the original of the um, the the Merry Messenger poem. Why can I not? What's the title of that? In the Adventures of Tom Bombadil. Errantry. Phew. Ah, I couldn't think of the title. Errantry. Yeah, in the Errantry poem. Um, uh, the, uh, uh, the the rivers flow stonily uh, in that in that poem as well. Yeah, I do need a nap, Rothgar. I I think that's exactly true. Um, yes, yes. Um, and it's a wonderful. It's part of. Uh, it's one of his. Uh, as I recall, it's one of the internal trisyllable rhymes uh, in in Errantry. Um, but it was awesome when he did it there, and I'm sure that he's thinking of that, which is kind of funny, because um, uh, it's kind of funny because it's a very different situation. I'm looking. Where did my copy of The Adventures of Tom Bombadil go? <clears throat> um, but yeah, I can find it because I'm pretty sure he uses it in a similar sort of sense there. Okay, here we go. Um, there it is. Yes. He called the winds of Argosies with cargoes in to carry him across the rivers seventeen that lay between to tarry him. He landed all in loneliness where stonily the pebbles on the running river Derelin goes merrily forever on. So you've got the the contrast between the 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 the, the running river Derelin is merrily run is 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 you know goes merrily forever on, but he is landed all in loneliness and stonily, um, rhymes with loneliness right. So you've got the 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 loneliness and stonily uh, connection there. So he is lonely, and the merriness of the river chattering over the stones contrasts with his own perspective here. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, there it is. There it is. Uh, the river roared. This river is roaring uh, stonily, which is uh, a little different. And here we have moodily and stonily. Yeah, I agree. It is almost almost a callback. Um, moodily is an unusual enough adverbial form Right, uh, that when you get stonily, an even more unusual <laughs> adverbial for a much more unusually, um, uh, 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 much more unusual adverbial form, it, um, um, it it's it really does call attention to it, doesn't it? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, his desire for adventure was at its lowest ebb. Um, and again, with lo- the loneliness and stonily, of course, I'm thinking about. I'm still thinking about what seems to be Frodo's perspective in the previous paragraph. Sam's not lonely, right? He's staring moodily as the river roars stonily, and his desire is at its lowest ebb. Um, he is feeling least desirous of adventure. 
He doesn't want to go. He doesn't want to leave. There is nothing in Sam that makes him want to go right now. Sam is pleasing no private interest in going. The departure from Rivendell is a pure act of self-sacrifice on Sam's part, right? Um, he did have a desire. Exactly, Aspen. Um, it was to see elves, right? You take me to see the elves? And now he's leaving the elves, right? Um, and he's not leaving the elves in order to go home. He's leaving the elves. Um, he's leaving the elves to follow Frodo into the adventure that he has no desire for. Um, and he's staring moodily, sucking his teeth, however exactly he does that, um, with his low desire. Um, exactly. Sam's original purpose is complete. Everything else is duty. Exactly. His duty calls him to go on, and he's doing so, right? Without flinching, I don't think. Um, but, um, yeah. Um, and, Jackie, I think that that's right. Um, even the Tralalalali River has become cold and dreary. This is the same river that was flowing in the Tralalalali song, right? Um, stonily is a wonderful adverb which evokes the roaring of a, of a fast-flowing river on the stones. But, of course, if the river is roaring stonily, it's, com it's like comparing its movement to... St it's, it's, it makes the river itself sound cold and emotionless. It's not a cheerful sound. Um, not, it would seem, in this... Uh, um, in this in this content, in this uh, context. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I still hold that this is Frodo. I don't think this is Sam narrating. I don't think that Sam is, this is a Sam interruption narrating. I think, I think, and I think there's a, in my mind, there's a really simple index here. Um, and that is, if Sam is the protagonist, it's definitely not Sam narrating. I don't think that Sam is ever glorifying himself or thinks that what he was doing. I think that Sam himself would think that him standing by the pony sucking his teeth and staring moodily into the gloom is not important enough to put into the story. Um, but I think that Frodo does. This is the paragraph. This paragraph highlights Sam's determination despite his feelings, despite his inclinations, despite his desires, he's going to do his duty and move forward. And then we're going to get his words, right? Then we're going to get his words, which I think is definitely Frodo. Um, again. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, now, Spielkamp, I don't think I, I don't think that I disagree with you. Um, uh, well, I think I would only disagree. So uh, he, said he left his desire to seeing elves behind in the meeting with Gildor. After that, he felt his higher purpose. That's not only duty for him, much more. 
I don't think I disagree with you there, other than perhaps I think I'm using the word duty in a different sense. Um, I'm using the word duty in a high sense. Like what you're calling much more than duty, I'm calling duty, <laughs> basically. I just mean the thing that he feels he has to do. Like that 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 high purpose, right? Um, um, I, I, yeah, I would use the word duty uh, to describe that. Maybe it's not the best way, but um, but but I am definitely including that when I am talking about his duty. Um, yeah, yeah. Now I agree, Kurtzimus, that Sam is not gonna lose touch with wonder. Um, his relation, his uh, you know, his sight of Oliphants, right, is gonna show us that. But it's not. It's not like he's going forward for the sake of Oliphants, right? Um, you know, it's not. Um, you know, it's not to see elves or dragons or oliphants that he's going forward at this point. Um, it's it's his duty. He's got a job to do, right? See, this is why Spielkalb, I come back to, to, to the word duty, right? Because it's, it's like Sam's language, right? Sam's language is, I've got a job to do, right? It is a high purpose, right? It is much, much more than simply an occupation, right? Or something like that. Um, but, um, uh, but it's still duty. It's still definitely duty. Um, in the sense that he's got, he's got a job to do, right? That's how he, that's how he talks about it. That's, that's his language. Um, yeah. Um, okay. It's late. And I'm uh, keeping you late, so I shouldn't. Um, uh, I shouldn't keep you much longer. We will transition next time out of this. So we did not get through two slides. Indeed, we got through slightly less than one. Um, but um, we will return next time to get Bill the Pony's contribution to this conversation, and then we will uh, uh, move forward into more Sam talk. Uh, next time with Sam's horrible moment of realization, right? When uh, the the recognition of his failure is going to come crashing down upon him uh, next week. So, all right. Thanks, everybody, for joining me. Uh, I will see you guys next week. Text moot this weekend, but I should be back in time to be able to uh, uh, do class next week so we will uh, look forward to seeing you there and in the meantime we'll do our we'll do our field trip all right good evening good evening Valoria how are you I am doing all right good good we're gonna we're gonna head back to the angle right yay exactly right. huzzah that's right is uh, back to Gyrond where we got the milestone last time. Yep. Let's see. I'm still adding people. Hang on. Uh, be along shortly. Okay. All right. I'm sitting so, next like, to Narnian here. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> the other Narnian. Yes. So my two cents on that, um, on this last passage, especially with Ar in regards to Aragorn, yeah. is that it is so strange that 
Tolkien has stuck us with a narrator who is not at all just, I mean, Frodo is a very romantic, floored, flowery person. We've seen this multiple times, especially when he's waxing poetic about Goldberry. But when it comes to like romantic love, he just seems to either, it's like either he doesn't get it or he's just too hobbity to think it's um, appropriate to discuss. Yeah, well, you know, the whole narrative, yeah, is certainly has a very distant relationship with that whole question, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to get some romance stuff. Um, but, yeah, it's going to be... Uh, um, it's just a, such a far cry from like the the Baron and Luthien romance that you know we were that was, was alluded to earlier by Strider. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I agree. Um, uh, right. Yeah. yeah. Almaria says I feel like he just doesn't find it his story to tell. Something like that. Yeah. I mean. Um, Like I said, either that or it's just something that hobbits don't discuss. You know? Possibly. Possibly. As far as we know, we don't really have much evidence of any hobbit love stories happening. Other than the extremely low... um, Low detail with Sam and Rosie. Right? I mean... Um, And there's certainly... the number of issues is the closest thing we have to anything in yeah. regards to that. But yeah. even that, it's like we're, we're told about everything after the fact, and it's just one of those, and so-and-so, it's like it was more important to state that they were legally bound at that point, you know? It's like it was almost a, it was just the, I don't know. It's like for the sake of listing the 13-some-odd children, it was more important to uh, to state that they had a legal marriage rather than there was any sort of great romance between Sam and Rose. Yeah, well, I mean, Rosie. Sam talks about it. I mean, I think that Sam does clearly hint at that. I think that, like, uh-huh. you could tell a different story, um, you know, that would be the romance of Sam and, and Rosie. But um, I think Sam tells us enough to suggest that that happened. But I'm thinking of it as uh, evidence in support of what you're describing, like a reticence, a hobbitish reticence to discuss it, right? Yes. Um, when he talks about it, he's very indirect and doesn't even finish his sentence. <laughs> yeah, like he's too embarrassed to finish. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So British, so British. Yes. And he's very indirect about mm-hmm. Aragorn and Arwen. Um, yes. And what they feel and everything. Um, well, with, with Sam and Frodo, that's two gentlemen talking. They're having a conversation. And, mm-hmm. and it, you know, for the longest time, there have been rules about talking about women when there are, are no, when the woman in question is not presence it's considered yeah. uh, you know rude but in this case where we're chronicling one of the greatest love affairs of this age we get he was thinking about stuff 
and only he knew what it was. It's like, that's <laughs> right. it. That's all we got for this great, <laughs> fantastic moment, this beautiful bridge into the greatest love story of his life, historic, prophetic, beautiful yeah. love story. And we get, he was thinking about stuff. Yeah. He only, hey, I, let, I didn't ask him what it was. <laughs> Let's run off to the south while we talk because we're we're gonna lose okay. daylight here. So yep, 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 yep. Burning let's daylight. The, let's go up to the thing. But yeah, yeah, um, um, yeah, yeah. I, I know nowadays we don't talk about king and queens making out, but like I mean, like back then we did, but like nowadays they would have been plastered on every tabloid. Right. Well, the point is just... that it's 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 um, the point that you're making is that basically the the. The great love story as, is very much downplayed as a love story. Yes. We don't even know yeah. it is a love story until later. Right. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's true we've received very little information yet about this. Anyway, who's Who's this nervous-looking fellow? Yeah, who is this guy? Mervellan. Is he a, a human? Is that so. His ears are covered up. His ears are covered up, but he's got he's got crow's feet and gray hair. But Marvellan doesn't sound like your typical human name that we've heard. Not a Breland name, anyway. What does he say? Oh, he's a ranger. Ah, that, that would get it. Ra okay. Yeah, human face, ranger name. Got it. Okay. He does look a bit rascally. Looks like he's. Uh, he looks like a. Uh, territory. Yeah, he's like Ranger Lumberjack. Go make us pancakes. Basically, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I don't know how fair he feels, but I think he looks relatively foul. Uh, he's fair in the sense concerned. that he has light-colored hair. Well, yes, that's true. Uh, sorry, I'm looking. I'm trying to look at this thing on his forehead, the round badge on his hat. Yeah. What is up with that? It's, like a it's got a design. It's not very clear. Yeah. I was trying to figure out whether there's a flower or what. Um, but, um... Oh. Hmm. Yeah, I can't really get a, a good gander at it. Yeah. Okay. So, orcs have taken this over, huh? That's inconvenient. Yeah, uh, like they do. So this looks like a version of the wall that we were seeing. Uh-huh. This is supposed to be a fortress, and they made a big old open door like that right next to the other big old open door? Well, I've seen doors like that in Gondor. They managed to close them up. Well, sure, but where's the... Where are the doors? Yeah, huh. this is definitely uh, an airy sort of place here. Okay. Let's see, sorry, I was frozen there for a second. Okay. Um, what's this thing that's... Um, so on the... What direction am I facing? On the east side, over behind where the people are fighting the orcs right now. So over, up over here. Um... That thing that's fallen, is that like a spire? Is that a pillar? Yeah, look, there's another one up there on top of the wall. 
down here? Uh, I've got too much foliage. What's going on here? Look up there. Yes, up there. Need to get my bearings here. Nope, nope, nope. Follow the green dots. Yeah, it looks like a spire of some kind. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's there's a few more of them over there. So we've got these fluted spires. Yeah. How did that work? We've got these big arches. Yeah. So okay, so you've got the round pillar with the gold sort of overlapping work up the side. Mm-hmm. And that clearly was a pillar that met on the other side of the arch here with that side. And then we have another one in there. So this it was all very fancy, not very mm-hmm. defensible, but what were those spires up to? And I do think we saw this elsewhere, but I think that that little sharp uh, stub of the pillar that rises above the arch, mm-hmm. that looks like that's intentional. I think that's not broken off because we can see the other two as well with the same in the with the same thing. What looks like a little asparagus spearhead. Yep. Right behind the behind the arch. Mm-hmm. That looks like a deliberate design feature. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. And th- so was there? Was it connected? Was this like a, a covered courtyard in front of this gate? Yeah, maybe. And what were those spires then doing? The Those sort of fluted square spires with the green. Maybe there was supposed to be some sort of plant life, like some sort of organic link that would have hmm. since rotted away. Maybe. Like maybe creeping vines or something or... The walls Something are that reasonably thick, and I'm mm-hmm. willing to believe that there used to be gates in here, though there's no evidence of it, but, you know, mm. maybe it's just gone. Beautiful green lines on the floor. Oh, really? Yeah, maybe, yeah. like, maybe, like, once all the fortifications were broken into, maybe they salvaged what they could and took it to ruin, though. Maybe. I, I mean, love how the orcs have anymore. erected some spiky things and hanging ropes. I guess they're just waiting to suspend. Like we, we, they've yet collected an insufficient number of bones to finish their decorating. Well, I think but, they got plenty of bones. They just need to sit down and do it. It's like scrapbooking. You buy all the supplies and it sits in the basement. No, that's oh, that's true. Look, there are bones all over the place. You're right. There's bones everywhere. Right. Look at this. Yeah, that's they true. They probably had these bones. Board here and they're like oh we should leave the here because we'll youth we'll total oh they got whole piles of bones standing over here yeah i know like, we should follow these out rats. no 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 i'm gonna make something i promise don't touch them <laughs> exactly where they're supposed to be <laughs> exactly exactly right we've got yeah. uh yeah I, I, they've got big internal decorating collection. plans here yeah, it's me with my yarn collection, I swear to God. No, don't throw away that brown. I know it's the same as all the other browns, but don't touch it. I need it. Yep. There's yep. some runes on these spiky things. Oh, spiky thing runes. Okay. Oh, yeah, there are. Okay. Oh, we yeah, got look, there it is. Huh. Hmm. 
This one's better lit. Yeah, the one over here is really well lit. Those are dwarven runes. They hey, are. that does go with our theory that they pillaged some of these things from the dwarves and then used them themselves. Yeah. That's really interesting. Uh -huh. We haven't seen that on any other spiky thing. No, but we've Jamie... just seen spiky things before. Yeah. Right, and we were wondering whether or not the spiky things could have been recycled or stolen. Maybe from dower hands. Or stout axes. And here, what do they have? This huge pile of ironwork? And they're like, um, tent, I guess? Put up some canvas over this and call it a day? So one of the better words a tent, I guess. It doesn't look like it'd actually do much. The point of a tent is not to poke holes in it. Right, well. But, yeah, I suppose if the sun comes up and there's no ceiling. Oh, right, and then here's the orc crates of food with the snakes on a stick and the, yep. uh, like, worms and whatever intestines, buck creative intestines and... Weevils, fungus. Weevils, yeah, exactly. Just like we had the carrots and radishes and artichokes out there yep. in the ranger camp. Yep, yep, yep. Okay, so clearly these um, these spires, one of which I'm... Oops, one of which I just oops. fell off of. Um... Wow, they can get pretty fluid. They're, uh, uh, they're clearly a hazard, whatever else they were intended to be. Hang on, now I'm stuck behind the pile of... Well, certainly a security hazard. Look how well they can get up here. That's true. That's true. Just saying, invade me while I'm not looking. Right, so look, there's more of them behind. All right, hang on a second. I don't want to look at this wall, at this face from further away. So let me come over by this orc archer chap and mm -hmm. then look up okay okay All right. what am i seeing i'm seeing whew, a wall with a very elaborate doorway and one of these tall peaked arches very tall yeah it's an extreme angle but it seems to be near like a watch window or or an archery window like are we to understand that they're running up these, you know, like green ramps or something like that? Like Tony Hawk? <laughs> well, uh, I doubt it. Okay. All right. Hang on. Now, around the... Oops. I turned. Okay. Around the wall... Um, oh, hang on. I got things disrupting me here. Okay. Around the wall... So we've got the... Again, that gold detail work set into the stone, like we've seen in several places. Mm -hmm. Then up at the top, it's the top that I'm trying to figure out. I know. And I think JJ's right. I don't see... I think, JJ, you were mentioning before that you didn't see any evidence of a roof anywhere. And I'm having a hard time seeing it either. Yeah, that's that Gondorian you know, hubris. Maybe that's... Sorry, maybe um, that's, Gondolinian... Maybe that's Noldor all over, right? I yeah. Mean, we haven't seen much in the way of roofs in any of their party structures. Why should they yeah. put roofs on their fortifications? Yeah. Right? I mean, 
it, I mean, unless you have things actually descending to you from the sky, which why should they worry about that? Um, it's not like there's things that can fly that are bad. Right. Exactly. Yeah. The bad guys have no air force for mm -hmm. a long time. Um, but yeah. Okay. So they don't, who needs a ceiling necessarily? There That's were clearly arches that went across here. Okay, so was this an inter an interior courtyard? So you come in, and you've got this little threshold up, but then you've got the little threshold down on the other uh -huh. side. And then you've got this paved courtyard with, as you say, originally, the beautiful green patterning on the mm -hmm. floor. This is, we're looking at... Uh, it's more intact than this chamber over here. What was under it, yeah. And then, hang on, if we, if we came straight through, where are we? Another little threshold up, threshold down. And mm -hmm. another big old room slash courtyard. It definitely looks like some of the Malathrim um, structures that we've seen in Mirkwood. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we got some ruins. This is the edge of it over here, right? Because, yeah, this mm -hmm. is the edge of the... Now, it's still, the walls are still, they carry on being impressive, right? I mean, the cross-section of yeah. that wall, this is a wall that really means business. This is a That is a tidal wall. wave of rock. Yeah, it really is. But then we've got these impractical doors. I still say they're impractical. Um, um, not if you were looking for, like, a cross breeze. Right, you could close the door but leave it open at the same time. Or just basically, it's it's good ventilation to have lots of open areas because then you've got the wind whipping through with these beautiful sort of it's basic air conditioning technology. Right. right. Though if you uh, if you have no roof in the first place, you know. Mm -hmm. And Drastic makes the good comment that it's on a hill, so it's defensible. So it's one of those things where you know maybe they just assume we don't need doors. We'll get them all before they get up here. Well, if you don't need doors, then why do you need walls? You know, I mean, I don't know. I agree, Hrothgar. Roofs are very, very first age. You know, the roof I'm fine with. And the doors, you know. Whatever, you don't have to have a door all the way up. You could have a... Though it seems a little odd to imagine these with, like, um, you know, half doors, essentially. Enormous mm -hmm. half doors. Yeah, honestly, the only that's like walls are there, like I don't know, to be like a windscreen when you don't want the wind. But like basically, it's like it's good for leaning against when you've had too many parties. Right. Hey, you know, so this courtyard over here, a courtyard or room or whatever it is, um, over here on the what is it, the east side, um, mm -hmm. the east wing, has a really nice, complete and uninterrupted wall around the doorway so you can see the full arch filigree and what it yeah yeah the, i was mentioning this room is much more complete than the others yeah oh and this is where you can see the floor too yeah you can see a little better oh, some of it those beautiful green uh ribbons running through it mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. you know I, I, so. yeah i oh yeah and you can see the way that the green arches worked so yeah, see, so those those fluted spires—they're clearly just decorative. I don't think yeah. they were supporting the roof. 
I think they're just, it's just like, it's just decorative. Like these, all of these random, this random arch work up here, right? The pointed yeah. arch above the door, the pointed door of the arch, and then you've got the broader arch that goes, you know, the rounded arch that goes all the way across. Um, so you've got the, the spiked arch in the middle, which echoes the shape of the of the doorway itself below it. Mm -hmm. And then you've yeah, well, got the broader arch to echo the, the half circle um, that encompasses the whole. Yeah. It's a picture frame for the sky. That's what it is. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think we're looking at it now as it was intended to right up at the stars with all these beautiful little bits forming a picture frame for it. Yeah, perhaps so. Perhaps so. Also, like the fact that I couldn't decide there for a second whether this was a courtyard or a room also suggests something else to me, namely that um, once again, there's almost no sense of any internality yeah. in these Noldor structures any more in their fortification than in their um, party houses, you know? Yeah, and, it's like there's a big communal living space. Right, right. Yeah. Um, so it's a defensible party's place, Drowsnake. They can say, like, okay, we know we're under attack, so we have to do things differently, but that doesn't mean the party has to stop, necessarily. Mm -hmm. Though you'd think the party would more or less stop after the fall of Eregion, but... Yeah. You know. I'm pretty sure they built it here for the view first, and then later right. on for defense. Maybe so. I mean, speaking of the view, this door would seem a door onto absolutely nowhere. I mean, I guess you can climb down over here with some difficulty. Um, it's but, it's uh, just to look at. Yeah. Unless, unless it all fell down into the ravine below. Possible, I suppose it was a while ago, but yeah, yeah, it does seem like more. This is more like the scenic lookout than anything else. Yeah. Oh, look at those pretty mountains. Oh, look at the sun coming up. You know, over the mountains. Yeah. In in winter. Yeah, yeah like right here. Yeah, right here. That's where the sun. That's east. That is where. Right. Where You're I'm right. pointing here. That is due east. That would have been a yep. beautiful place You're to right. watch. This, and so this. Oh, so why do you have this doorway here? Going in or out is a luxury. You have this doorway here so that the morning sun shines in through the wall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the sunrise would come streaming right in through here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure we're going to still be here at sunrise, Amethorn. Uh, we're no, a little bit... Uh, no. It's going to be a while still. Most of us have work in the morning. Yeah, exactly. Um... And then do they have a... I didn't go over to the west. Let's see the western chamber and see if they have a symmetry. I shouldn't let folks go soon, too, anyway. The west chamber but, is the best chamber. Right. If we go over to the west chamber... No. Oh, they blocked it up. No, I don't think there was a... Oh, wait, hang on. We take a little... Oh, we some steps up here. Yeah, So yeah, maybe yeah. we're doing some management of terrain, and here's the western opening. Well, also, those windows look like they've all been bricked up. Yes, but there was, there was whole, no tall archway. There was no symmetrical tall archway, but we can see see over here directly to the west of that gate. You had these uh, 
very awkwardly tall rocks, right? So you'd have to get way up here. Yeah, this looks so like it's uh, it's shifted some. Yeah, this definitely this this rock. So they didn't bother with this. Instead, they jogged it up to the right, up to the north, right, which was uh -huh. which raised it up a little bit. And then you've got the western view from here. Obviously, these trees are new compared mm -hmm. to when this was built. Yeah. As presumably these trees are fewer than like 4,000 years old. Um, uh, yeah. So this would have been a view into the sunset. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, that, that is interesting. Maybe they were still salty about the West at this point. Well, no, I think they would have wanted to look into the west. Ooh, it's the last bridge. Oh, yeah. Okay. That is, that is beautiful and tactical. Yeah. So we can keep an eye on things from here. But honestly, who's going to come up here? And it's such a nice day. Or evening. Right. Ooh, full moon. It's always a full moon in Eriador. Is it? Yep. That is cool. The moon doesn't actually change phase in any given night. Do you just oh. have to go to certain areas to get a different one? I didn't realize you could watch it moving so fast because it's elapsed time. That is so cool. I, I really do feel like an elf here just watching the moon go across where's, the sky. Where's that other ruin that we were in? Huh. Uh Oh, it's down there. Yeah. I see. There's a little road. Oh, yes. That goes That's up towards it. It's a bit so, behind those trees over there. Yeah, slightly to the northeast of us there. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Very good. Very good. Fascinating. Okay. All right. Um, so next time we'll continue on down the road and see what we see. Mm-hmm. Very good. Okay. I'll let folks go. Um keeping folks late again tonight and I shouldn't um, thanks everybody for joining us on another discussion and another exploration and we will see everybody next week we'll see some folks at TexMoot in Austin this weekend uh, and then I'll be back next week so uh, thanks everybody good night now